Hey Jexiteers, thanks for stopping by. Um, if you're new to the channel, my name is Riley and I'm a former Jehovah's Witness. And today I have a guest on the show. Uh, you may recognize him from his own YouTube channel, um, XJW Still Fading. Um, he's kindly agreed to uh, join me today for an interview. So, hi, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for coming. So, I think the first thing I should probably ask you is um, why you're in disguise. Could you just okay, tell us a little so, bit about that? Sure, sure. Uh, so I am in disguise because I'm still uh, a PIMO, which is physically in, mentally out. Um, my, I think my case is a little bit different from other other people who are PIMOs, though. As my family members know that I am no longer going to the meetings or going out in field service, they know my my stance on the organization, and they know that I don't believe what they're teaching anymore they do however think that they can probably bring me back in by i guess showing that they're doing uh good things in jehovah's service and kind of you know setting the example um mm. and i i i don't want to give out my identity just yet uh and and kind of get completely out go pomo physically out mentally out because I don't think at this time it's it's probably beneficial for me financially or uh, you know just mentally. I, I think that it might have a well. I know for a fact it's going to have a big social impact, and I guess at this time I'm not ready to lose the people that I have known for my whole life. So I'm kind of holding on to it. I do feel that it is kind of inevitable, but I'm just giving myself a little bit more time. So that when that time does come and I completely, you know, cut off all ties, then I'll I'll know for sure that that's exactly what I want to do and, and go through with it completely. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank thanks for answering that, and um, I do appreciate you coming on the uh, on the channel despite your circumstances. You know, um, for anyone who's watching this who isn't a Jehovah's Witness or has never been one, and not familiar with the uh, shunning policies, so um there is no way to leave the jehovah's witness organization with your dignity intact um, and with your relationships intact as well um the jehovah's witnesses have a strict uh, shunning policy of former members so if you leave voluntarily or if you you leave because you're expelled which they call disfellowshipping it means that no current members are allowed to have anything to do with you either even um close family members. So you're basically cut off from your entire community, which is why uh, many uh, witnesses who are um, who, who no longer believe, um, they have to be very, very careful about how they how they exit the organization um, so as to not lose, you know, everybody that they've, they've ever known, basically. And, and you know, you're, you're um, in this situation yourself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you pretty much lose all of your, your social standing. Um, mm. It's pretty bad. Uh, you can't talk to anybody and you, you can't even, at, for some people, they can't even talk to their family members anymore after being disfellowshipped. Mm -hmm. um, I, I personally, I just wanted to touch on this. I personally don't think that my family would cut me off completely if I were disfellowshipped. And I know that that's the case with a couple other family members too. Um, of, of different families yeah. where 
they will still keep in touch with the family member that is disfellowship, but they just won't associate with them, you know, outwardly. They'll right. call them on the phone, text them, things like that, but they'll never be caught with that person. Um, right. So it's almost like everyone's just really afraid. You can see how that yeah. uh, that shunning policy can affect families, families completely, completely destroy families too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's just, you know, one of the sad things about leaving the organization. But um, once you know that it's no longer the truth, um, you know, what choice do you have, really? Uh, exactly. most, most people would prefer to, you know, go through all of that pain and hardship and leave something that they know isn't the truth than to stay in it and pretend. And, and who could blame them, really? Right, exactly right. So um, tell us all about how you became a Jehovah's Witness. Okay, so I was born in to uh, the truth, um, and I refer to the truth as just, you know, quotations around that. Um, and also, it's a little hard to kind of get away from the wordage. Uh, I'm still having trouble with that. But uh, I was I was born into it, and I was raised from, you know, from a very young age. Um, I didn't really make it my own until I grew up into my teen years around... Uh, you know, 18 or so. Um, but I was always exposed to it. Me and my mother and my two brothers were the only ones that were in the truth at the time. I didn't have uh, my father along with us. Um, pretty much just kind of stayed around my mom, listened to her, followed exactly what she told me to do. Uh, she encouraged me to go to the meetings and to go out in field service. So that's the things I pursued. Okay, thank you. So how did um, being a Jehovah's Witness affect you in your childhood? Um, thinking back on it, I don't think that I had any real negative things happen to me um, with being like a, a child raised as Jehovah's Witness. I think that uh, it, it was overall pretty positive. Uh, I think the only thing that would probably be a big thing was mostly just celebrations of holidays and birthdays and things like that. But everything else was pretty, was pretty standard across the board as any regular Jehovah's witness um, probably would, would know. Um, I think my congregation was, was pretty decent. I don't think there was anything out of the ordinary. It seemed like, uh, you know, it was just a standard congregation. Um, I will say that a lot of the elders did take a liking to me at a young age. So they tried to encourage me to keep pursuing kingdom interests and to, you know, make Jehovah happy. So when you hear that as a child and it's constantly reinforced and you want to make your parents happy, you want to make your elders happy. Those are the things you're only going to be focusing on. So that's, that's what I tried to do. Um, as I, as I said earlier, I didn't really make it my own until I was about 18 or so. Uh, but before then, I was still in the school. I was still giving, um, you know, Bible readings and things like that. Uh, but as I kind of grew up a little bit, I decided that I needed to maybe take it a little bit more seriously. After a while, um, I tried to get into auxiliary pioneering and hopefully get into regular pioneering. Um, that didn't work out for me too much. <laughs> I think I had a problem with uh, getting up really early on Saturday mornings and things like that. Mm. And then school happens, work happens, you know, 
basically life came up and uh, I never got a chance to do regular pioneering, but um, I did try to do my best, go out in service. And I think one of the big things that I, I did that maybe had a, a large impact on my congregation was helping out the older ones and anybody else that might need help or assistance. Um, I was really big on that more so than service because I felt like the people that were there, I wanted to take care of them first and foremost. Um, so I was more concerned about who was in my congregation and how I can help them, I guess, mm -hmm. rather than um, trying to convert other people out in mm -hmm. field service. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So um, what caused you to start waking up? How did you come to the realization that it, it wasn't the truth? So there were a few things, but one of the, the big things that I remember was um, I was always the type of person that I guess I wanted to find out the truth, even if it was something I didn't want to hear. Um, and I, I was very, I guess I watched the governing body members very closely because they're anointed. So you would think, okay, well, I have to follow their example. Um, there are some things that Brother Morris had said and uh it was it was around the time i think the new bibles had came out the silver bibles he was uh giving a talk and he was talking about young brothers and how if they aren't ministerial servants by a certain age then they shouldn't even be um i guess looked at as a potential mate or something like that along those lines I and uh i wasn't a ministerial servant at that time and i was over that age that he had mentioned but i remember sitting in the the kingdom hall thinking, wow, really? I mean, where does it say that in the Bible? And mm -hmm. at that moment, I was just like, well, that's just his own opinion. But I know how everybody in the kingdom halls and the organization thinks if the governing body member says anything like that, any governing body member, they take it as law. So mm -hmm. all the mm -hmm. sisters that probably were looking at other brothers, and if they weren't ministerial servants, then I guess you know, that relationship pretty much ended right then and there. Um, I have heard of a few instances where that did happen after that talk was given, where the, the brothers just kind of were completely caught off guard. They're like, well, why in the world did we, you know, not continue the relationship? But it was because the sister was thinking that the brother wasn't spiritual enough. Um, so little things like that, when something like that happened, I kind of was, something went off in my mind. And I said to myself, okay, that's, that's a little weird. I don't think that he should have said something like that. Um, then there was this other time, I think, with certain broadcasts that they put out <clears throat> where it just seems like they're very nitpicky about small things. Um, one instance was the dress and grooming, where I think uh, the governing body members were, were talking about how we need to be very mindful of dress and grooming. And they tried to give an example of this young brother and it showed a picture of the brother. Uh, to me, his dress and grooming didn't look too wild or crazy. It, he just looked like a regular brother. He just had like a, I think it was a, a, a hat on that was turned backwards or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I, I guess that was just a little too much for the governing body members. So they said that we have to be really mindful of that. And I'm, I'm sitting here like, uh, well, sometimes I wear a hat that's backwards. Like, does that mean that I'm, you know, not good association or if I need to work on my dress and grooming? So it was just little things that I felt that it was just a little too overboard. Um, and if you take a look at it, you can kind of compare them to the Pharisees back in the day. 
where they were very, very strict on so many things. And it was just creating a burden for everybody else who was supposed to be following them. Um, and as I drew that comparison between the Pharisees and the governing body members, it just kind of became a little blatant and I, I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, one other thing also too, which I think uh, another a lot of people can probably agree with um, that might've happened to them. One of the big reasons for them waking up uh, is the 1914 doctrine. Um, so I, I stumbled across this, I think forum or something where someone had mentioned something about 1914 and I wasn't seeking out anything, but I, I think it was on Reddit. I think someone had mentioned something about 1914 and they were talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. And I, I kind of skimmed the paragraph that they were talking about. And I said, what, what is, that's kind of weird. Why are they saying this kind of stuff? Cause that's not true. And as I started to, you know, look a little deeper into what the Bible says about 1914. And the weird thing is I looked up information on JW.org and used their publications and stuff wasn't adding up. Um, I don't know about a lot of other witnesses, but personally, I didn't know the 1914 doctrine that well at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and, I mean, there's so many different, um, I guess, uh, dramatizations that they do uh, that shows that anybody who talks about the 1914 doctrine, they're immediately like, oh, whoa, you know, I don't want to talk about that. Or mm -hmm. they have a hard time explaining it and stuff like that, because everyone has a hard time figuring out what that doctrine's about and what it's what it's actually saying it's it's very confusing yeah but if you take a look at it and do in-depth research you'll see that something is not making sense and it's not adding up um and i think everyone subconsciously realizes that but because they want to believe it's the truth they push that in the back of their minds and they just continue following what the governing body says yeah the 1914 doctrine was um one of the the last things that did wake me up Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. That cognitive dissonance where you just, you, you know, you, you have two opposing beliefs, but rather than dealing with it and trying to come to a resolution, you just put it to the back of your head. You know, that, that that's something that you have to be able to do as a Jehovah's Witness, because there are so many things that, you know, cause that conflict within you. You, you, you wouldn't be able to cope, you know, with everyday witness life unless you did that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was a, a, a Jehovah's Witness, it, it always bothered me how somebody could be married to a person and have a perfectly good marriage, but their, their, their spouse isn't a witness. How do they exist on a day to day basis in that situation, looking forward to the new world, but knowing that it would mean death for their for their spouse? How do you function with that? And the only answer I can come up with is, you know, just put it to the back of your mind and don't think about it. Mm -hmm. No, that's that's yeah. very true. Uh, I mean, yeah. like, like I mentioned before, my father wasn't uh, a witness. One interesting thing is I never actually talked about uh, with my mom how she kind of felt about, you know, my father not being a witness and what might happen to him. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess she's just always hoping that maybe one day he'll kind of turn around and, and become a witness. But uh, I think I, I think a little <laughs> I probably through a wrench in her plans because I, I told my father everything that I learned mm -hmm. about uh, what was going on behind the scenes. 
So my father now is on my side and he agrees with everything I, I've said to him. I've showed him everything and he's he's rooting for me. So it's good to have, um, I guess, somebody on my side that I know I can kind of talk to on a day to day basis about yeah. what's going on um, with the organization. And they'll completely understand where I'm coming from. Uh, it was also great to be able to share it with somebody else and kind of bounce off ideas and and see if what I'm looking at is actually true or is it something that I was just hoping that uh, it would be true just because I didn't want to be a Jehovah's Witness. Because I know that's another thing that witnesses will say that you were looking for a reason to not become a, or not be a witness anymore. Well, right. I didn't want to do that. So what I want to do was be objective about it, ask someone else who has absolutely no bone in the fight and see what they thought. And my dad looked it over. He looked at everything too, along with me. And we both came to the conclusion that yes, something is wrong with the organization and they're not teaching complete truths. Right. So it, it'd be good to have that um, kind of exchange. And it's good to have somebody on, on my side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's, that's excellent. I mean, it, it always baffles me when, when witnesses say that, they say, oh, you just didn't want to be a witness and oh, you wanted to live a sinful life. You wanted to celebrate Christmas. You wanted to have sex or all of these things. But what, what they're failing to take into consideration is that it takes a lot to stop being a Jehovah's Witness. It's not it something that you can just do just like that. I mean, even if you're, you know, disfellowshipped as, as, as I was, I mean, being a witness is a huge part of your life and you lose so much by not being one anymore. And it, a, a lot of it hurts. So that's not something that somebody would choose to do frivolously for for no good reason. So that that line of reasoning ne never, you know, it, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I, I'm baffled as to why anyone would say that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I agree with you. Um... I guess it's a, it's also a part of just cognitive dissonance because they can't believe that anybody would find something wrong with the organization. Yeah. They'd have to believe that everything in the organization is true. So if anything isn't true, it completely shatters their whole world. And yeah. now they have nothing to kind of fall back on. So it's better to just believe, no, that person who left is wrong completely and they just want to live a sinful life. It's better yeah. to just think that way if you're a Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, absolutely. So of all the things that you discovered about the organization when you were doing your research, what, what was the most shocking thing to you? I think it had to do with Rutherford and how all of the information he pretty much had was just like a, a copy of all the other um, religions that came out before where, where they were doing their research and found what they thought was true. He pretty much looked at what they wrote and then kind of copied it and made it his own. Right. So the whole time beforehand, I mean, you're thinking Rutherford is like this guy who God just saw on earth and he picked Rutherford and was like, I want you to be the person spearheading the organization and teaching everyone the truth. Um, Sorry, when you say Rutherford, I, um, I'm a, I think you're meaning um, Russell, the, the very first president. Yes. I'm sorry. Yes. Yeah, Russell. Okay. Russell. Okay. <laughs> Russell. Um, you think that God chose Russell and, and kind of like chose him to spearhead the organization and try to teach everyone what's the, what the truth is about the Bible. Mm -hmm. But after coming to the realization of, Oh, wow, 
you know, he's not special. It kind of takes away all that like glitter of the organization. Um, it takes it all away. You're thinking that you're part of something completely unique. That's this one religion that God is, is looking at. And these are the only people that are going to actually survive Armageddon. You're thinking all these things. And then after finding all that out and how there is other people who pretty much thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Um, it is really just kind of like a shock. I think that was probably the most shocking thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was one of the most shocking things for me too. Um, realizing that the witnesses were not unique. Um, shortly after I woke up, I read, uh, Stephen Hassan's book, uh, escaping cult mind control. I, I highly recommend it for all XJWs. Um, the, the author of the book, he was in a cult in his, uh, younger days, a cult called the Moonies. And, um, in, I think the second chapter, don't quote me on that, but I think it was the second chapter of his book. He's explaining some of the Mooney's beliefs. And I could not believe what I was reading. It was as <laughs> if somebody looked at the Jehovah's Witness organization and decided to make a clone of it. Man. I just, I just could not believe, you know, that when you realize that witnesses are not unique in their doctrine, in their practices, in a lot of their policies, all of these high control groups and cults, they, they all work off of the same playbook, the same manual. And um, yeah, coming to that realization, understanding that was, was a, it was a huge deal. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I'm going to have to actually check out that book. Um, I don't think I, I've read that one. Uh, the only book I, I have read um, was Crisis of Conscience mm -hmm. by uh, uh, Raymond Victor Franz. Yeah. I checked out his book because I, I thought that he would be a little unbiased, um, mm -hmm. especially because he was also a governing body member. I'd, I'd like to hear what he had to say and yeah. what information he probably has. Uh, I'd also like to hear it from the horse's mouth. I don't like hearsay. And every single time I've ever heard anything about Victor Franz before um, when I was in the organization, it always be something negative. Well, after reading his book, I, I came to a complete like realization. Oh, wow. He was actually mistreated heavily. Yeah. Um, and people just badmouth him just because he wanted to do the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's terrible. I, I haven't finished that book yet. I'm still working my way through it. Um, but what I've read so far has just been awful. Yeah. It's, it's really good to get that behind the scenes insight into you know, what has gone on in the organization. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So if you were to uh, leave the organization today, I mean, like if you were to be disfellowshipped or disassociated, uh, would you lose uh, a lot of, um, I mean, you've spoken already about, about your family. You think that some of them would still keep in contact with you as much as they possibly could. But what about friends? Oh, I, I have no doubt in my mind I would lose all of my friends. Um, I know that, uh, some of my friends actually already know that I'm not going to the meetings. They also know that I'm not going out in service. Um, I believe that they just have a hope that I'm, it's like a phase and I'll come around and then I'll eventually start coming back to the meetings. Uh, and they don't really understand the reason behind it because I would rather not talk about it with them to kind of keep the peace. And also, too, just to kind of give myself more time, um, I really do 
enjoy hanging out with my friends. I don't think that they're bad people. Uh, I just think that they're kind of being misled just like I was. And I don't think it's, it's my, my place to kind of come out and just say, you guys are learning something completely wrong. Let me tell you about it and so forth, because that would just create a lot of tension that, that I, I think is unnecessary. Mm. And also too, I think everybody kind of needs to get out on their own, you know, time. You can't have somebody try to force you out. You can't have somebody just come out of nowhere and tell you because immediately as a Jehovah's Witness, if someone says something negative about the organization, you close your ears and you just run away. Yeah. So it it would it really wouldn't do anything if I told anyone anyways. So it's best to just kind of keep it to myself, keep a low profile and and just keep doing what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But yes, absolutely. I would lose I would lose all my friends. I would lose uh, a lot of um, connections that I have, which is a little concerning because when you lose your social circle, there's no one you can really rely on anymore unless you, you know, your family, of course, but that also could be a part of your social circle. So I know that some people, if they lose their friends, their families, they, they really don't have much else to fall back on. Uh, fortunately, my family, as I've said before, they they said they wouldn't uh, disown me, you know, heavily. Mm-hmm. I probably wouldn't be able to hang out with them like <laughs> out and about, but at least I could still talk to them. Uh, yeah. So I guess it's like a plus. Yeah, yeah. So, um, do you feel that um, being a PMO in in the situation that you're in, do you feel in, in any way like it's preventing you from moving forward with your life? I think it is a little bit. Uh, I can't deny that. Mm-hmm. I think that if I were to just completely, uh, you know, cut all ties, I think it would probably be better just so I can I can move forward financially and probably, you know, work towards getting my own, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I- I'm a pretty careful person. I try to be as cautious and and. I guess, tactical as I can be. So I want to make sure that I'm doing, um, I'm making the right moves. Even if it might take a little bit longer, I want to make sure I make the right moves just so I don't get myself put into a bad position. Mm. Um, But I I can see it being a a little, almost like a setback by just being PIMO instead of just coming out and just saying, you know, I'm not a part of it anymore. Um, and, And one way I can actually see it being a setback is, if I'm hanging on to my old friends that I know for a fact will disown me, um, the second I don't want to be a witness anymore, I'm not creating any new relationships with other people outside of the organization. So that's, that's definitely a bad thing. Um, which is something I'm working on now, which I want to try to, you know, interact with other people that are just, you know, out in the world, (laughs) so to speak. In this wicked system of things. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So uh, what kind of, I mean, I can imagine that, it, of course, it's, it can't be easy to be in the situation that you're in. Um, and I'd imagine that it, it, it must have some kind of emotional toll on you. Could you, could yeah, you tell uh, us a little bit about that? Sure, sure. Um. You know, it is kind of hard 
now it's been about almost two years now that I haven't been to a meeting or went on service, mm. but it is kind of hard to know the things that you know and not being able to tell anybody that you cared about um, what you know. Mm. It almost seems like you're you're doing them a disservice. Um, it almost seems like you don't really love them if you're not telling them. But just recently something happened um, with me and my family members where my, my brother's having a pretty hard time and he he has depression and that can get pretty bad for, you know, times at times it can get pretty, pretty bad. And I know that the reason why he is still here with us today is because of the organization and the hope that he has for the future. So one emotional thing that, you know, definitely affects me is that it's hard to want to tell him what I know, because I know that, if he hears mm. it, it probably would negatively affect him. Yeah. Um, and that's that's one problem that I have ran into. So it's best for me to just kind of not say much of anything. Um, but yes, the organization for him is definitely the lifeline. And that is the reason why he is still with us today. So I think for... I think I personally would say that I'm glad that my brother is is still here today with us, even if he is in the organization and is kind of stuck in there. Um, and I'd rather just not say anything at all if that means my brother is alive today. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand. Yeah, um, I'm, I mean, I'm not quite in the same situation, but um, my mother is a, a devout, a devout Jehovah's Witness. <laughs> There's, I mean. We, we don't speak but um if we did i don't know if i could have the heart to, to tell her what i know about the organization because her heart and soul is in this you know quote unquote religion she eats sleeps breathes being a jehovah's witness I mean, if if samuel heard himself was to visit her and say look this is just all a sham she would be at the kingdom hall the very next day <laughs> it, it would make no difference whatsoever you know, so I, I often think about uh, about that. If we were still in contact, would I have the heart to tell her? And I, to be honest, I don't think I would. I mean, she's in the later stages of life now. So, you know, and being being a witness gives her a lot of, you know, it gives her comfort. It gives her a support network. It gives her, you know, a social circle. And um, for the few years that she has left, would I be willing to, to take all of that away? You know, right. some, some people might. Some people might feel that that's okay and that, that that's fine for them. But um, personally, I don't, I don't think I'd have the heart to. No, I feel exactly the same. Um, I, I know that my mom understands completely where I'm coming from. Uh, as I mentioned, I have two older brothers. Uh, so one of the brother knows exactly where I'm coming from. But the one that I was just mentioning before, I haven't told him in depth anything um, mm. for the reason that I mentioned earlier. But yeah, yeah I, I completely understand it's, it's a very hard situation. Yeah, extremely, extremely. So would you have any words of advice for anyone who's in a similar situation to you? So someone who's PIMO um, wants to eventually leave the organization, uh, but for whatever reason, they, they, they can't do it immediately. What, what advice would you give to somebody like that? Um, 
I would probably say that the the best thing to do is is to take your time and to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Uh, it's better to make sure that you're going to take the needed steps at a you know at a at a pace that you can handle, rather mm. than trying to completely throw caution to the wind and disregard everything. Um, I know of some people who have just completely cut all ties and it's worked for them. And I know some other people who have completely cut off ties and it hasn't worked for them. Uh, I think you have to find your own pace. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I recommend taking your time and just trying to make sure you have your own foundation first, um, have your own place, your own job and your own means to kind of surviving. Um, because those things are, you're always going to need them. Um, regardless of where you go. So if you don't have those, you're going to end up back in the same spot where you were before you had left. Um, especially if you're a young person and you're only around 18 years of age. Um, I know that a lot of young people, they're, they're itching to get out there and just do their own thing. But uh, being a witness, if you were born in like your whole life, um, it's a great big world out there. There's a lot of things that you really don't know that you haven't experienced yet and to completely dive right in i think would be personally a bad idea um just just my opinion uh i think it would be best if everyone just kind of took it slow and just you know made sure that they made uh the proper uh what's the word i'm looking for <laughs> just kind of took the proper steps so mm. that they don't get caught in a bad position yeah, that's, that's good advice. Yeah. So um, with, with yourself, I mean, what, how have you found it? Like, I know you're, you're not fully out of the organization yet, but have you um, realized any kind of uh, gaps in your knowledge of how the world works or any anything new that you've had to learn in order to, to be able to function outside of the organization in, in the, the big wide world? I think one big one that a lot of people who uh, I think this probably would affect younger people more. Um, you don't have to tell everybody that you were an ex or you were a Jehovah's Witness. Um, a lot of a lot of emotions are wrapped up in that your mm -hmm. whole life were a witness. It really isn't necessary to tell everybody what your life story was and what you're doing before and things like that. Um, I personally had to learn that you don't have to tell all the new friends that you, you meet and that you make uh, what you were doing before, you know, you left and things like that. Um, it's best to just kind of keep that to yourself and try to just make friendships organically, try to meet people and just, you know, talk about other things besides organization. Um, you already left the organization. So don't try to bring yourself back in by, I guess, keeping your mind about it the whole time, try to try to get past it and just focus on the future instead of, um, you know, being so wrapped up and caught up in it, constantly talking about it. Uh, after a while, it might get just a little aggravating for your new friends. I would imagine mm -hmm. they probably don't want to hear anything about what you did in your past. Um, and then also too, it can be a little uh, overwhelming for people if you tell them you were like in a cult and 
now they feel that they have to kind of like, I guess, be the shoulder to lean on and things like that. I don't, I don't know if people would react well to that. So it's probably mm. best to not, you know, go out and tell people that you're a Jehovah's Witness and yeah. you left and so forth like that. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. And what finally, what advice would you give to um, a PME, so someone who's physically in and mentally in, but they just have a few doubts about the organization and or its doctrine? What advice would you give to someone like that? Um, so my advice would be to do research, uh, objective research. Uh, try to look at the Bible and examine everything that's going on with the organization um, and kind of compare it to what God would want and ask yourself critical thinking questions. Um, is this something that God actually would like to be, uh, to, to have happened? Or like, uh, would God actually allow this to happen in the organization? Mm. Um, would, I guess it would just be best to just look at the, the organization and compare it to what God would actually want. Um, if you see that there's a discrepancy there, I encourage you to not ask questions to your elders or anybody that you might think is like a, a good spiritual head because they might start thinking that you're you're going off the deep end or something like that it's best to just do research on your own in the privacy of your own home if you want to go on gw.org you can do that but also compare it to other pieces of information um and also to any information that you get outside of jw.org isn't apostate literature uh especially if it's just history so i would mm. encourage you to look at the history of the Bible, history of the organization, and do your cross-examination of all that information there. And I think that's a good place to start. Great, thank you so much. So thank you so much for joining um, me on the channel today. Um, I'm really honored to have you on. Thank you for sharing your experience. And um, viewers, um, I'm gonna leave a link in the description for um, XJW Still Fading. Please go over there and uh, give the uh, channel uh, a like and a subscribe. And um, if you haven't already done so, please subscribe to uh, Jexit 2020. Thanks again for watching and I'll see you in the next one.